0: Welcome to the Ship Gold, Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, May 20th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You spin me right round, baby, right round, like a record, baby, right round, round, round. Do you remember that song? An 80s classic by the band Dead or Alive. It would have been the perfect open for this week's show because spin is exactly what we're getting from the mainstream, uh, from the financial media to Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. I think I've mentioned before that my background is in media and communications, so narratives have always fascinated me, how they form, how they're perpetuated, Um, storytelling, I love it. So I thought I would take a little bit of time this week and look at some of the pop economic narratives that are out there today, and why I think that they are, quite frankly, a lot of spin. Now, one thing I've noticed over the years is that the mainstream spin when it comes to the economy is almost always positive. You know, it's designed to make us feel good about things, make, make us feel like everything's okay. I mean, we wouldn't want people to freak out and panic, right? It's kind of the exact opposite of TV weather, you know, that's all designed to scare the crap out of us, right? You have a line of thunderstorms go through. You're trying to watch the football game, and all of a sudden, you have some TV meteorologist yelling at you for hours about how you need to take shelter. And of course, nothing ever happens. So it's pretty much the again the exact opposite of what we see in the financial media. I don't. Maybe we need to get some weather reporters to do financial news and get a little uh, realistic balance. Now, I have to confess, I tend toward pessimism. I know, you know this. If you've been listening to the show, you know that I'm not exactly a ray of sunshine, especially when it comes to my view of the economy. And, and the fact of the matter is, I am inclined to spin things negatively. Now, part of that is just kind of a knee-jerk reaction, maybe some backlash to all of the positive mainstream spin. I mean, you You can call me balance, you know, I'm your balance. But this is also rooted in my understanding of economics. I see the system for what it is, and I recognize that it's unsustainable. My reading and understanding of economics informs my view of what's going on out there in the world. And, you know, granted, it's not a perfect predictor because the economy is incredibly complex and there are so many factors to consider, but I think over time, the economic principles that I'm leaning on are going to be proven correct again in the long term. So, When you look at a lot of the positive spin you get out there in the mainstream, I think it's important to realize that it's almost always wrong, right? Just look at the various inflation narratives that we've had. First, we were told that creating trillions of dollars out of thin air wouldn't cause inflation. And then when we started to see a little bit of inflation, well, that inflation was transitory. And then when it became clear that it wasn't transitory, well, they just started making excuses. It's supply chain problems, or it's greedy corporations, or it's Putin, or it's a roving band of unicorns. I don't know. All kinds of excuses. So now we're being told that the Fed can successfully fight this not-so-transitory inflation. No problem, because the economy is strong. That's the big narrative, the big spin that we get today. Well, sorry, I'm not buying what they're selling. You know, These people did the exact same thing in 2006 and 2007. They said there was no problem in the mortgage market. And then when it became clear that there was a little bit of a problem in the mortgage market, they said, well, don't don't worry about it. This is confined to subprime. And then the next thing you know, the entire financial system collapsed. So. I want to talk a little bit about spin. I want to focus in on two things that were in the news this week and kind of look at it through the lens of this mainstream spin, and I'm going to give it my own spin, and then you can decide which spin you prefer to believe. So let's start with retail sales. That was a big data point that was released last week. Uh, it came in better than expected. Here are the numbers retail sales rose by 0.9% in April. So that's a really hefty increase in retail sales. And the March number was revised upward. It was originally 0.5%. Uh, they revised that up all the way to 1.4%. And if you look at retail sales on an annual basis, they are up 8.2% year-on-year. So, bottom line, retail sales pretty freaking hot. So, here's how Reuters spun this data in their article. It said that strong retail sales provided a powerful boost to the economy at the start of the second quarter. Quote, the broad rise in retail sales reported by the Commerce Department on Tuesday suggested demand was holding strong despite headwinds from high inflation, souring consumer sentiment, and rising interest rates now let me let 's think about this a second this This big retail sales number what i say zero point nine percent yeah zero point nine percent that provided a great boost to the economy to begin the second quarter. But March, which was in the first quarter, that number was 1.4%, bigger even. And yet we still got negative GDP growth in Q1. So I don't know about this big boost that retail sales are supposedly giving the economy. Uh, I'm sure there's an excuse for it. I'm sure there's some spin, but I'm not quite sure what it is. Anyway, Reuters went on to tell me that this grand retail sales, this consumer demand, has assuaged fears of an imminent recession. The words underlying strength were used to describe the economy. They also tell me, quote, rising wages fueled by a scramble for scarce workers and massive savings accumulated during the COVID-19 pandemic are underpinning spending. So to sum it all up, American consumers are spending a bunch of money, and that means the economy is strong because basically, I mean, they wouldn't be spending like this if it wasn't, right? Now, all of this is certainly plausible. They may be right, but they're probably not. I might believe this narrative if those were the only facts on the table, But this spin leaves a lot of pieces out of the puzzle. There are a lot of things that are being ignored or just glossed over. So what is the narrative? Let's break it down. The narrative is basically that people spend money when they feel optimistic about the future. So that makes sense, right? I mean, if you feel good about, you know, things that are going to happen to you economically, you might be more willing to take out a loan or run up a credit card because you're like, hey, I'm going to be making money in the future, so it's all good, right? So it is plausible. But... In this case, today, we know Americans are not optimistic about the economy. Consumer sentiment numbers tell us the exact opposite. In fact, consumer sentiment has dropped to the lowest level in more than a decade. The University of Michigan sentiment index plunged to 59.1. That's a drop from 65.2 back in April. That was way below expectations, by the way. Of course, inflation is the big worry, with consumers expecting prices to rise 5.4% over the next year. The decline in consumer sentiments were broad-based and, quote, visible across income, age, education, geography, and political affiliation, this according to the survey director, quote, Consumers' assessment of their current financial situation relative to a year ago is at its lowest reading since 2013, with 36% of consumers attributing their negative assessment to inflation. Buying conditions for durables reached its lowest reading since the question began appearing on the monthly surveys in 1978, again, primarily due to high prices. In other words, people aren't really planning on buying big purchases Big ticket durable goods uh, because they're worried about this inflation. So, this is the exact opposite of what the retail sales mainstream narrative is. That is that, hey, well, the consumers are optimistic, so they're spending money. Well, consumers aren't optimistic. The Consumer uh, Sentiment Index tells us that. So the bottom line is it can't be that Americans are really worried about their finances, as this consumer sentiment tells us, and they're simultaneously spending money because they're optimistic about their finances. Those two things don't go together. They're incongruent, right? There must be another reason that consumers are still spending money out the wazoo, even though they lack confidence in the economy. And I think that answer is pretty clear. They have to. The mainstream spin is that Americans are spending more money despite rising prices. The fact of the matter is, Americans are spending more because of rising prices. The fact of the matter is, Americans aren't buying more stuff. And that's the impression that you get with these retail sales numbers. You know, they trumpet it like people are out there buying a lot more stuff. They aren't. They're actually just paying more For all of the stuff that they're buying. An 8.3% annual rise in the CPI means that the entirety of the rise in retail sales is accounted for by rising prices. So it's pretty clear to me that this is an involuntary spending spree. American consumers are spending hand over fist in an effort just to keep up with our surging prices. I mean, think about yourself. It's not like you pull up to the gas pump and say, man, I feel really good about this economy. I think I'll spend four forty-nine dollars a gallon on gas. No, you pull up and say, crap, I got to fill this damn car up. I have no choice in the matter. Better get the credit card out and bite the bullet. You know, it's important to remember that retail sales aren't inflation adjusted. So since retail sales are expressed in dollar amounts, they reflect both The units sold and rising prices. This means there are basically two ways that retail sales can go up consumers can buy a larger quantity of stuff, or the price of the stuff that they're buying can go up. In other words, just because dollar widget sales increase doesn't mean that people bought more widgets. It could be that they bought fewer widgets, but they paid more for them. And I think this is exactly what's happening in many retail sales segments today. People aren't even buying as much stuff as they were a year ago, but they're paying more for it. So it shows as an increase in retail sales. Basically, what I'm saying here is we're paying more and we're getting less. Now, it's also important to consider another question. How are we paying for all of this? Recall, the Reuters article tells us rising wages and savings are fueling this spending spree, or at least maintaining the spending spree in the face of inflation. The problem with this narrative is that real wages aren't keeping up with rising prices. Yes, nominal wages are going up, but consumers are actually worse off. Average hourly earnings have risen by 5.5% over the last year. That's a pretty healthy increase in wages, a 5.5% raise. Yeah, I'll I'll take that, right? But factoring in rising costs, real earnings are down 2.6%. Real wages fell another 0.1% on the month this past month, despite a 0.3% increase in nominal wages. So, yeah, you're getting bigger paychecks, but those bigger paychecks buy less and less because, again, inflation. So, how are Americans really paying for this spending spree. Well, it is true they're dipping into their savings, and they're putting a lot on their credit cards. Of course, neither of these strategies are sustainable long-term, right? Savings run out, and credit cards have these nasty little things known as limits. Now, as far as savings go, we're already seeing a huge dip in the savings rate, and that doesn't bode well for the future of the economy because savings is where we get the money for capital investments. You need savings to build for the future so that we can have future economic growth. Meanwhile, revolving credits, that's primarily reflecting credit card debt, rose by a staggering 35.3% in March. That's the last month that we have data for. American consumers added $31.4 billion to their credit card bills in one single month. $31.4 billion. That's how retail sales rose. 1.4% in March. Americans got out their credit cards and they charged them up. Not only are credit card balances growing, consumers are trying to find new ways to borrow even more money. According to Fed data, Americans opened 229 million new credit card accounts in the first quarter of this year. That was higher than pre-pandemic levels. So people are desperate. They need credit cards. They have to pay for all this stuff. They're running up debt. Again, not the best way to spend money, right? Because you're going to have to pay all of this back eventually. Essentially, what people are doing is they're uh, they're taking future spending and they're doing it now. So where's the money going to come from for that future spending? Well, I guess I'll have to get more credit cards um, until you know the banks say, I'm uh, not getting another one. Again, this is simply not a sustainable trajectory, no matter how the mainstream press tries to spin it. The question is, how much longer can over-indebted consumers keep paying these upward-spiraling prices, especially given the fact that the Fed is now raising borrowing costs, so interest rates are going up. All of that money that's being put on credit cards it's going to become even more expensive to make those payments. So, not good news on the retail front, despite Reuters' spin. and Reuters is similar to other mainstream spend that we've seen as well. So, Let's talk a little bit about some spin that we got from Jerome Powell. Powell spoke during the Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything Festival uh, last Tuesday. Now, the main takeaway is that he is still talking tough about fighting inflation. He is going to kick inflation's ass. He is a badass dude, that Powell. And he's in the ring, and he's swinging, and they're going for broke. And, uh, you know... I've talked about this ad nauseum, why I think he's full of crap, but it's still interesting to look at what he's saying, right? So basically, this is what Peter Schiff calls open-mouth operations. Basically, Powell is hoping that if he talks enough about being tough on inflation, inflation will just go away, and he won't actually have to do the whole inflation fight thing. You know, it's like the guy who chirps and chirps and chirps, I play hockey, so you, know, you get these guys that want to yap and yap, but they don't really want to drop the gloves. That's Jerome Powell. He doesn't want to drop the gloves. He's hoping he can intimidate inflation away if he just talks enough. Now, the first thing that I found interesting uh, is that Powell claimed the Fed wouldn't hesitate to go past a neutral interest rate if necessary. So they'll jack up rates to that neutral rate, and then if they have to, they're going to go even further. The funny thing is, Powell can't tell us what the neutral rate actually is. I mean, he even admitted this. He said, we don't know with any confidence where neutral is. So I guess it's like the Supreme Court and porn. Remember the obscenity ruling back in the day? The court said obscenity is not protected speech, but they couldn't really define what obscenity is. They just said, you'll know it when you see it. So I guess we'll know what the neutral rate is when we see it. Of course, I don't think we'll ever get there, but that's another whole other matter. So, here's a question for you. If the head of the central bank can't even tell you what this target is, how do you have any faith in the ability for them to hit the target? I mean, you don't know what it is. It's like being blindfolded, right? So... Regardless, Powell's basic messaging here is that the Fed is on the job. It's going to do whatever it takes to get inflation back down to 2%. I mean, like I said, this is serious, folks, but don't worry. We're on it. The inflation, yes, it's a problem, not transitory. We were wrong about that. Oops, sorry. But we're in there now. We're fighting, right? My question is why weren't you on it earlier? I mean, If you're really on it now, why aren't you pushing rates to that neutral level now? Why tinker around with 50 basis point hikes? Why wait until June to start shrinking the balance sheet? If we need to go to 3% interest rates, just do it. Rip the band-aid off, right? I mean, when I'm serious about doing something, I act. You know, it's like, I don't wait three months and talk about it. If I see a serious problem, I'm going to get on it. Um... That's not what Powell's doing. And somebody actually asked Powell about this, and of course, he spun. First, he tried to convince us that they're already punching hard. He said, quote, by the standards of central bank practices in recent years, we've moved about as fast as we have in several decades. Now, of course, when it comes to cutting interest rates, they are way faster. Remember when the pandemic started, they went to zero without even having an FOMC meeting. You know, they just cut it down to zero. They're like, oh, this is an emergency, and they acted. So why don't they have that same sense of urgency in fighting inflation? Then Powell talked about the importance of communicating to the markets and the public. In other words, we need to get the spin right. We got to get the spin going. Powell said, quote, monetary policy works through expectations. So It's just as I said, this is open mouth operations. He hopes that people will believe the spin and the inflation problem will poof, vanish. Well, they apparently believe the spin. I mean, just look at the tanking stock market, right? Look at gold. The mainstream still believes the Fed is going to raise interest rates high enough to kill inflation. So they're selling gold. They're also selling their stocks. Actually, When you really look at it, gold is holding up pretty well, uh, if you take into consideration the strength of the dollar and and the narrative that is still widely bought out there in the mainstream. But here's the thing. Monetary policy doesn't work through expectations. It works through shutting down the printing press. You You want lower inflation? Stop printing all of this damn money. That is, by definition, inflation. When you're printing money, when you're creating money, that is inflation. Rising prices are a symptom of inflation. If you don't stop printing the money, the symptoms aren't going away, no matter how much you talk, Jerome. And that's the thing. They're not ending the money creation. They're not really tightening monetary policy to any real extent. And Powell, Powell actually claimed that they are, though. He said, quote, financial conditions overall have tightened significantly. That is some good spin right there. And, you know, on on its face, it's true. That is not a lie. Financial conditions have tightened significantly. We've gone from super, 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 super loose monetary policy to super, super, super loose monetary policy. The point is, it's still super, super, super loose. Anyway, as I've said week after week, Powell and company are still pouring gas on this inflationary fire. They've turned the knob a little bit. They've slowed the flow of the gasoline, but the gasoline is still going into the flames. Now, Powell went on to talk about the strength of the economy. He even claimed that consumers' balance sheets are healthy. Yes, Jerome, nearing record levels of credit card debt just screams financial health, right? I've covered the supposed strength of the economy in the last couple of shows, so if you haven't listened, you can go back and listen to those. So I'm not going to belabor that and I'm actually going a little long here, but the bottom line is this economic strength is really a giant bubble, and air is already leaking out of that bubble. And, you know, if the stock market keeps crashing and the air keeps coming out of the bubble and we keep getting bad economic data, by the way, uh, jobless claims increased again uh, this week. So even the labor market that Powell keeps pointing at is a sign that the economy is strong. Even that is starting to look a little bit shaky. And as I mentioned before, the labor market is actually a lagging indicator. It's going to be the last thing that you start to see going down as the economy tanks. So, you know, again, the bottom line is the air is leaking out of this bubble. And pretty soon we're going to see just how real Powell's resolve is. When we really see unemployment spike, when we really see the stock market continue to tank, when all of these things continue and the economy gets weak, that's when we'll see just how strong. Jerome Powell really is in the ring. My guess is he's going to abandon the inflation fight, but I've said that before. We'll just have to stop and see what's going to happen. So as you've listened to the show, I mean, I guess you could say, Mike, you're talking about spin here, but you're just spinning things your way. And, you know, that's a fair criticism. That's my job. My job is to spin uh, the economic conversation in a way that I think is Accurate based on again my understanding of macroeconomics. Your job as a thinking person is to decide what to believe and then act accordingly. You can believe the mainstream spin, you can sell your gold, you're free to do that. Shift Gold will buy your gold from you, or you can believe my spin, or you can come somewhere in the middle. I'm not trying to tell you what to think, not my job. Just throwing some stuff out there for your consideration. I hope, if nothing else, I make you look at things in a little bit different way than what you're getting out there in the mainstream. Now, if you do agree with me, might be a good time to talk to a shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can call them 1-888-GOLD-160. You can email them, info at shiftgold.com. You can chat with them uh, through our website, shiftgold.com. And uh, again, I've said this before. These guys are fantastic. They will talk to you about your financial goals, your portfolio, what you want to get out of your investments, and they'll help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So contact them today. With that, it's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the things that I've talked about today and a lot more and of course, you can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to this podcast, the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on the Apple podcast channel. We're on Stitcher. We're on the uh, YouTube. So check out all of those things. I have links to all of them on the show notes page over at shiftgold.com slash news. If you want to contact me, I always love hearing from folks. Got a really good question from a listener uh, the other day about uh, people using their stock portfolios as leverage or as collateral uh, on their homes. something I talked about last week. So love to hear from you guys. You can email me at mmeharry, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipcult.com So with that, we're going to end the show. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I will talk to you again next week.